0: morning all morning. morning church glad to be with you on this beautiful morning we are in this series I think number four now perhaps in the firm foundation series what is that kind of our core beliefs not just browncroft but what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus to be a let's whatever you want to say it a, a Bible believer uh, and what does it mean in our day and age how do we reconnect the the basic premise I should say maybe time and again of this series is that these core beliefs let's call them theology is not just a dusty academic kind of thing you check it off we believe that our theology our core beliefs are directly related to our lived experience that's the whole point right? This is for our lived experience. We're we're supposed to live our theology, and we need to know it if we're going to live it. So that's what we're doing in this series. And today we're going to talk about sin and its consequences. Sin and its consequences. What I would say to you, wouldn't be just me, that next to the Trinity, and let's say the person of Jesus, Jesus, the character of God, of course you want to start there, it's at the center of Christian doctrine, right? Sin and its consequences, it's huge. It's at the heart, we'll see in this brief sermon, uh, uh, of what the Christian life is all about. One great theologian, I just want to start with a definition so I don't kind of get lost without clearly defining it. This is a theological definition by one of our great theologians of the day, Wayne Grudem. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God and act... In attitude or nature. Now, leave that up there for a second. Let me just say something briefly. Hopefully, this will be teased out in the next uh, 25 minutes or so. First of all, it's a failure to conform to the moral of God in act. Now, most of us would, would say, think, if you have any theology of sin, this is what it's about. You're not supposed to step over the line. You're not supposed to, you know, uh, this commandment, thus saith the Lord, whether it's the Ten Commandments or some other law or some other commandment of Jesus, this is what it says. You're not supposed to do it. If you do it, if you step over that line, that action, you've sinned, right? And that would be true at one level. But some of us stop there, right? And the, pro- the reason sin is such messing up our lives is we have such a narrow, such a superficial definition of sin. It says also attitude, attitude. This is what the Sermon on the Mount's about, by the way. The great teaching of Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus says, guys, you've missed it. Ladies, you've missed it. The reason your life's not working is because you've, you have a very superficial understanding of what the laws of God are. He says, it has been said, Jesus is he's talking about the Ten Commandments, you shall um, uh, uh, not murder. But what I'm telling you is, that's the Sixth Commandment, if you have anger in your heart, Towards your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your, your kid, your coworker. If you have anger that nobody can see, you can hide it very well. You have broken the sixth commandment. Okay? So sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act in attitude. Boy, that's a leveler, isn't it? And then in nature. That's sin is a nature. We'll talk about that more. Now. Let me just say this, you would know this, I'm telling you what you know, that this category of talking about, you know, sin in our culture, it's something that that our popular culture doesn't even have, I should say, a category for. No one is using sin, right, to explain, you know, the... the um, the, the, the motivations and the behaviors of things that go on in life they you know the, the newscast doesn't start with or the the, the, the press conference with the, the the chief of police or the mayor doesn't start with well we understand the problem the reason that this happened or that happened was sin in the heart of the person with the, the you know the, the knife in their hand no it doesn't start that way we don't explain sin is not used as an explanation for motivations and behaviors listen it's not taught tell me if it is if you're still a college student or a high school student they don't Teach in philosophy courses, in psychology courses, when they're talking about human behavior and human behavior and human motivation. Say, so, listen, this is why people do what they do. You know, chapter three, sin and its consequences. Okay, it's not taught in places like that. It doesn't shape our views of law enforcement, as a for example. Right? Think of all the, uh, how much time is spent. Understandably so. In our lives, in our experiences, in our news cycle, about different kinds of breaking of the law, law enforcement, all the, all the conflict and confusion. No one's ever talking about part of the reason we have people commit crimes because of sin, right? It doesn't shape our view of law enforcement. In other words, uh, guys, ladies, you're not going to learn about sin and its consequences anywhere else than here. And I don't mean me. I'm talking about the word of God. Okay? You're not going to learn it. They don't teach it in school. They don't teach it in the media. Maybe there were times in our culture where it was more prevalent, you know, where, where, where these biblical truths were more part and parcel of the way people raised their families and, and, and taught kids in school and, and educated them and, and there was a certain understanding about morality and, and things like that. Those days are gone for the most part. Okay? You're not going to learn it any. Where else. If you believe, ask yourself this question if, if this is your case or maybe it's your friends, if you believe there's no such thing as sin in the way the Bible describes it, we're talking about here this morning and that definition is a starting place, then you think about it. You would see no need for the moral law of God at all. If you didn't believe in sin, there'd be no need for the moral law of God. There'd be no need for the wisdom of Scripture. There'd be no need to have any kind of dependence on God if there's no such thing as sin. There would be no need... For the, for the rescuing grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I wouldn't need that either if there was no sin. It is, why is this our message right after the character of God messages, you could say it's the why, sin and its consequence, of the whole Christian life. Right? It's the why of the whole Christian life. I mentioned this in our message on the, on the um, Trinity a couple weeks ago. There's this one passage, Galatians 4. So listen, let me give you the whole uh, the, the Bible in a nutshell. God the Father first sent his Son into the world to, to die for our sins and then sent the Spirit to help us, empower us to live, the, uh, to live like God wants us to live. That's the whole ball game. And Galatians chapter 1 says the whole thing is a rescue mission. It's a rescue mission. Sin and its consequences are the entire why of the Christian life. Okay? That's why it's so important. Okay, here's our article. We've been using these articles. That is our article of faith, which is just a summary of what the Bible says. We believe that man, mankind, men and women, were created in the image of God. It's very important. You get that. That he sinned. She sinned and incurred not only physical death, but also spiritual death. We'll get to that in a minute. Which is separation from God. And that all human beings are born with a sinful nature. And that those who reach moral responsibility become sinners in word and thought and deed. Okay, what do I want to do in the time I have left? Sin and its consequences. Three things briefly. Where it started... Why it's what it's done? Maybe that's the heart of the message. What it's done or doing in your life and in my life, and what it reveals, where it started, what it's done, what it reveals. Point one: sin and its con- you sin and its consequences. You were made to be like God. Okay, it's so important. That's where the article starts for a reason. Okay, you were you need to know from the place from which you have. Fallen. See, a lot of people don't get that. I mentioned this before. You know, there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. All but four of them, the first two and the last two, take place in a fallen world. See, that's all we know. We eat and drink, bring, uh, eat and sleep, and and drink and breathe a fallen world. We think that's all there is, but that's not there, all there is. You were made in God's image. That's a profound, profound. Ambition. Look at this verse, Genesis 1.27. That's how the Bible starts. So God created mankind, humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is in Genesis 1 for a reason. This is how the Bible opens for a reason. It's profound. The Bible begins here not just because it's the Bible's history, like, you know, we're reading chapter 1 of the, of the American story or chapter 1 of anything. It doesn't start just because it's the Bible story. Guys, it's your story. It's my story. Although you and I do not live in a Genesis 1 and 2 world, that is to say a world before sin entered the world, it has not altered the fact that you, me, every person in this room, every person in every jail cell and in every uh, maternity where every single person is made in the image of God, a fallen world has not changed that. In these words, you were made in my image. In these words, God defines human identity and its utter uniqueness in a relationship with God. And it implies It implies intrinsic worth. You can't earn this, nor can it be taken away. To be human means you carry with you the image of God, okay? Whether you're a Christian or not, made in my image. That means your value does not come through your accomplishments. It doesn't come through your race. It doesn't come through your financial wealth. It doesn't come through your good looks. Everything you think about people, everything you think about yourself should be shaped by this declaration made in my image. Okay, Do you believe that? Did you walk in this room believing that? Now what's important to start, you see, Rob, why are you you wasting time in a message about sin and its consequences talking about something so beautiful and wonderful as being made in the image of God? You have to start here, why? Because sin is not simply the breaking of laws. See, that's what we think, because our theology is so weak. That's why I said, using Grudem's definition, it's it's, 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 it's moral inconformity to the law of God in action, but also in attitude and nature. The reason we start here is sin is not simply the breaking of the laws of God, but the breaking of a relationship with God that results in the breaking of God's laws. They go together. Let me give you one good ex- quick example of that. Those of you who know your Old Testament, the story of David, the great king, the great, you know, one of the great leaders of the, of the whole story of the Old Testament. Jesus is called the son of David. You could almost not be more important than David. But David, we know, if we go to his obituary of all the great things that David did, wrote the Psalms and was the king of Israel and and killed the lion and killed the bear and on and on and on. He did so many great things. Goliath, the list is too long, but the beginning of his obituary says he committed murder and adultery. And when he did that, he was confronted and he responded in faith and repentance, and he wrote this great, one of those beautiful uh, uh, pieces of poetry and truth in all of the history of, of, of the world, Psalm 51. And he says this strange statement in confession. Psalm 51, verse 4. God, thinking of adultery and murder, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And you think, what? How in How could he possibly overlook murder and adultery and say, only against you have I sinned and done this evil thing? Well, David's not overlooking it. Read the whole psalm. He knows what he did, but he's making a point that I'm trying to make, that sin is fundamentally not about crossing the line and transgressing a law. Fundamentally, it's about breaking a relationship with God. All sin is a violation of a relationship with God. You were made in his image. Whether you know it or not or believe it or not, you are connected with a living God. That's who you are. It's fundamental. The origin of sin. Many of you know this. So I'm not going to go there. But it's Genesis chapter 3. Even if you've only been to church 10 times, you might know that, right? That's why that, that story is there. The, the human fall. The very people that God declared this, made this declaration over, man and female, made in my image, go into the world and subdue it. The very people, the characters for whom God made this declaration chose to disobey him. Right? You know this story. Genesis 3, take notes if you want to take it out. But here's the point of this. Why am I bringing it up? Although it is their story, it's not there as a history lesson. It's there because it is also your story. What happened to them happened and is happening to you. That's why it's there. Okay, that's why it's there. What is that story? The enemy, the Satan, the the, the accuser, you know, the antagonist, right, of this great story. Says, listen, God cannot be trusted. And Eve said this, Adam said this, did God really say that? I have people all the time, whether it's human sexuality or money or all these issues. Did God really say that? Yes, he did. But see, she doubted it. And if you doubt what God said, did God really say? You doubt it because you don't believe God really loves you. And then you say, I'm going to therefore take life into my own hands. Okay? This is what sin is. But it's not just their story. It's your story. What they were saying was, listen, God's not going to define who I am. I'm going to define who I am. God's not going to tell me what life's all about. I'm going to define life's meaning. This is the essence of sin. And isn't that interesting? Not a lot's changed in all those years, has it? I'll define who I am. A lot of people say this to me, maybe to you. I hear this all the time, and I, I hear it even in my own thoughts. My life's not working, Okay. It's not working. My life is not working, Pastor. Well, what does that mean? I mean, what does that really mean? It means, in other words, my relationships are a mess. My life is not working. My marriage is not working. It started out good, but it's not working the way I thought it was gonna work. My career is not working, right? My life is not working. What the Bible is saying, what I'm trying to say to us today, is the problem below. Every other problem, this is it. It's sin. But the question is, do you understand how deep it goes in your life? If you really want to know, by the way, how life is supposed to work, because it's not working, become a student of Jesus. I said this last week. He lived for you before he died for you. If you want to know how life is supposed to work, right, how you're supposed to treat your spouse, your kids, your mom, your dad, what life is really supposed to be about, how it's supposed to work, even down to your thought life. This is why God sent his son into the world, not just to die for you, but to live for you. You were made to be like God. Point one. Two, sin has damaged every part of your life. <laughs> okay, here's where, the, here's where we, we, we're gonna descend. What does that mean? Sin has damaged every part of your life. Romans 5, 12. Listen carefully. Therefore, Paul is trying, the writer of the book of Romans, is trying to say in a few words, he's trying to unpack um, these very big questions. He's gonna do it in a few words. Therefore, just as sin entered the world, how, Paul? Through one man, or one couple, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people. Watch this, it doesn't even make any sense. Because all sinned. They did. How did all sin? I wasn't even alive yet. This is what the Bible teaches, verse 19. For just, or excuse me, for though the, through the disobedience of the one man or couple, the many were made sinners. This is what the Bible teaches. Now, I don't like it. Rubs me the wrong way. Hold on. That through someone else's actions, before I was even born, sin entered the world because all have sinned the ideas in and through the sin of and We call it original sin. But let me say something about this. This is why, going back to Grudem's definition, it's action, attitude, wait for it, nature. Nature. When I say nature, it means that you've inherited Okay, something. It's not. It's like you've inherited your eye color or your skin color, but see, it goes so much deeper than that. It goes down to the very core of your being. You've heard this term, perhaps it's a theological term, total depravity. Everyone ever heard that term? Maybe in okay, total depravity. Gary Neasel, did I see you raise your hand somewhere? I don't know. Maybe not. But get, total depravity, total depravity. Now, when I first heard that term, um. I don't know when I heard it, maybe as a young uh, Christian, it rubbed me the wrong way. I immediately said to myself, that's baloney. You know, it's kind of like saying, you're good for nothing. And when I hear total depravity, you're totally depraved. And I know better. I know that's not true. The worst person that you know, that you despise, whether they're living or not, let me tell you something about them. They did good things in their life. And then all the other people that are not that person, all the way up to your grandmother, did many, many Good things in life. So it's a misunderstanding to think that total depravity means that you're completely depraved, that you're incapable of doing any good. That's not what it means. It means that sin or moral corruption, listen carefully, touches through the inheritance of your sin nature every area of your life. In other words, it's comprehensive. The emphasis is on total. It implies that all parts of your person. This is what total depravity means. All parts of your person have been infected. Your thinking, your reasoning, your desires, your feeling, even your ability to connect with God. It's like you were in a car accident, right? Sometimes you're in a car accident and you go, well, what happened? The corner panel's been destroyed, right? The corner panel. We just need to get a new corner panel. But see, what the Bible's saying, no, it's not the corner panel. Total depravity means it's the, the the impact it's touched every area of your life. That's all it means. Yes, you're going to die physically. It's touched your reasoning, your thinking, your feeling, and even your ability. This is where the idea of spiritual death comes in. This is a concept. Even your ability, or my ability, to have a honest and true relationship with God. Why are there so many people in the world? that are smart as all get out, that are good, they're moral, they're your friends and my friends, they work with you, they work with me, they live near you, and they, live, and they are clueless when it comes to the things of God. And you talk to them and talk to them and talk to them about something that makes so much sense, and they, it's like you're talking in a different language. It's called spiritual death, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Sin has damaged every part of your life. It doesn't matter how smart they are or how you are. As for you, Paul simply in this little paragraph is saying, listen, let me tell you, sometimes you don't even know what's happened in your own life. Let me tell you what's happened to you now that you're a Christian. As for you, you were, past tense, dead in your transgressions and sins. Well, he's not talking about physical death then. No one rose from the dead in in Ephesus. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. A way of talking about personified evil. The spirit who is, wait for it, now at work in those who are disobedient. Still happening in your life and mine. All of us lived among them, that is the disobedient, the non, you might say the, the spiritually um, dead, at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh. See, it goes deeper. Than your hair color and your eye color. Following its desires and thoughts, like the rest of them, wait for it, were by nature deserving of wrath. See? Sin gets right down into the core of who you are. Sin has damaged every aspect of your life. I heard an interview just recently, um, this past week actually, um, with the writer uh, Ru- uh, Russell Shorto. And he's a historian, but he just wrote this book, just came out in the last year. It's called um, Small Time, and the subtitle is My Family and the Mob. And he's telling the story of his grandfather, uh, uh, Russell Shorto, who was a mobster in Johnstown, Pennsylvania in the first part of the 20th century. Now, he grew up always knowing that. That his grandfather, his paternal grandfather, was a mobster in his hometown of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, in the first part of the 20th century. But he said, no one ever talked about it. And he went on to become a celebrated is, a celebrated writer even to this day. Written a number of books. He's a history professor, but also a a well-known, accomplished writer. And he said, but he never wrote about this until he was in his 50s, not that long ago, a couple years ago. And he said, I finally thought it was okay to write. So I wrote this story. I don't usually write about my own life. I've never written about my own life. About my grandfather, who was a mob connected to the mob in early part of the 20th century. And he said, in this, I learned an awful lot. The interviewer was asking him. I learned a lot about my grandfather. I learned even more about my own father. But what most surprised me was what I learned about myself. And he started to tear up. they They had to pause the interview. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, then when I grew up, there was, I had this understanding that my, I always grew up, my whole life, my family did, that my father, I didn't know my grandfather that well, but we knew the narrative that he was a mobster, but that my father, who's been a very successful entrepreneur and businessman, my father made a choice not to get into the family business to do the things that he did, to honor, to do what was right, and to protect the family that he wanted to have and that he did have. That's what I grew up believing about my father. But in the course of the investigation of this book, I realized that was not true. And that my father actually very much wanted to get into the family business. He started to get into it, and my grandfather was so against it that he forbid him to do it, and it ripped and broke their relationship. And the only reason my father didn't get in the family business, my grandfather would not let him because he was the boss in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. But my father went on to have a very successful career in the same kinds of legitimate businesses that my grandfather did in an illegitimate way. But I never knew that. And his father even confirmed it. It was in his 80s. And he said, when I learned that, I began to understand my relationship with my father in a whole new way. And now, he said, in a way that I could see how it cast a long shadow over the course of my life, and I began to see my own life, even the choices that I had made to do what I've done for a living, to do this and not do that, were shaped by forces in my life that I didn't even know were there until right now. So he said, What I'm saying to you guys is, that's what's happened in a manner of speaking to every single person in this room listening to me and in life, right? Sin goes far deeper than you'd ever imagined. It's damaged every aspect of your life. It's not just the corner panel. All of your life has been impacted. Your body, your mind, your feelings, your affections, your points of view, it gets down to the core of who you are. It's the problem below every other problem in your life. But of course, it's not the end of the story. You were made to be like God. Sin has damaged every aspect of your life. But a true knowledge of sin is where I'm leading to us, okay? As a Christian, you have the courage. I have the courage. You should have the courage to be able to deal with your sin because you have been given the power of God. You've been given the forgiveness. See, if I didn't know Christ, I wouldn't want to talk about my sin. I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to watch more TV. I'm going to eat more food. I'm going to drink more of this. I'm going to to do everything I can do to escape reality because it's too difficult because my problem goes down to the core of who I am. But a true knowledge of sin as a Christian, can lead to an experience of God's grace. Romans 5, again, Paul's gonna say this very thing. Listen carefully. He's gonna compare the first Adam who sinned and I and you inherited it to the second Adam. That's what they call Jesus, by the way, not in this passage, who said, the second Adam is gonna do a representative act on your part, too, but it's gonna far out correct, it's gonna be a course correction of all course corrections, But the gift, speaking of Jesus, is not like the trespass in one way, one important way. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, or couple, talking about Adam, how much more, circle that, did God's grace and the gift, death and resurrection of Jesus, that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. In other words, it's far greater. The the gift of Jesus is far greater than the condemnation and sin of Adam. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Romans 5, 12, Genesis 3. But the gift followed many trespasses. Oh, my goodness. The human race and my life and yours. And brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned, Right? from the Garden of Eden to the present day, through one man, how much more? Will those who receive um, God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? If you're a Christian, a true knowledge of sin can lead to a true experience of God's grace. You can do something that no one else can do. You can face your sin all the way down to the core of your being because you have a greater love and a greater power and a greater resource to do something about it, okay? Don't expect your neighbors that don't know Christ to do that because they don't have that resource, but you do and I do, okay? You do and I do. I got a my, my assistant, this may be just two months ago. Pastor, Pastor, uh, uh, um, Someone, this guy wants to see you, wants to, to create, have a meeting with you. And just like any other pastor or, or, or professional or whatever, you know, someone in office, office, she always tries to find out what it's about because maybe it's about music. Talk to Jason. You know, maybe it's about family ministry. Go talk to, to Trisha Smith. So she said, well, he didn't say what it's about. It's personal. I always know that's a bad thing, right? <laughs> it's personal. He wants to talk to you. It's personal. Um, but he said it'll only take 15 minutes. Not a big deal. I said, okay, fine. Set it up after, if he's good. If it's only 15 minutes, what he asked for, uh, uh, then we'll do it after church. So we come after church. This is November, I don't remember, We're not that long ago. He introduced himself, and I said, uh, let's, you know, it was kind of noisy in here, and let's, we sat back here in a room. Sat down, he said, uh, I said, how can I help you? He said, um, you don't recognize me, do you? It's always a bad way to start a conversation, right? <laughs> I said, no, I, I don't. And he said, we went to high school together. Okay. And he said, um... I really appreciate you meeting, and, uh, and I could tell he was kind of anxious about it. And he said, um, um, well, um, I'm here because when I, was, uh, when I was in high school, I wasn't a Christian. I have come a Christian uh, later in life, and, and I'm trying to undo some things. These weren't his exact words. And he said, you and I had a confrontation, and I've carried this around all these years, and I'm trying to make good and I'm here. I, I stumbled into Browncroft Community Church. I go here now, and you're the pastor, and so I wanted to have this conversation with you. And I said, okay. And I, I, he, I said, uh, keep going, you know. And uh, and he said, I go, what's it about? And He goes, well, uh, it was not that big of a deal. We were at a party, and it had to do with a girl. Now I'm thinking to myself, where? Well, this is crazy, you know. I mean. Uh, believe it or not, I wasn't always the incredibly uh, moral exemplar that I am today. And uh, I'm thinking, this this, this guy's going to tell me something. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, what did I do? I can't even remember what I did. Isn't this a horrible feeling? We all know we've done stupid things, sinful things. But how grave is it when you don't even know? Sometimes you know and you're hiding it or you hope it's just in the past. And someone's talking to you, you don't even know. That's how deep and dark sin is. So finally, I just interrupted him. I couldn't handle it anymore. I said, "I said, let me just get what you're trying to say to me, friend. Is I did something, I hurt you, I violated uh, your relationship with this girl. Whatever the case is, I want, I, I, if you know, I, I want to just say I'm sorry because I, I didn't know." And he said, "No, this. I'm not here to seek forgiveness. I'm here to give forgiveness." I said, "Oh." He said, "No, I'm the one that violated you." And that was so powerful. And I didn't remember he, the specifics of that situation, and later he wrote me a note. I just said thank you. It was we maybe talked for half an hour? It wasn't that long? But he wrote me a note after. After that, very simple thing. Wasn't a big deal. I was. I said, oh, absolutely. He said, I can't tell you how much that. This is the word he used. How much that um, um, I felt like I was released from a, a stronghold. Was the word he used in a sense, he's a Christian now. He said, that one conversation has opened up my prayer life and made room for God that I haven't had for years. And I thought to myself, if that's true from some small potato thing that I couldn't even remember, imagine how that grace of God could work in your life and my life in things that are much bigger that you and I have been carrying around for years. Okay? A true knowledge of sin leads to a true experience of God's grace. But listen, you've got to have the courage to face your sin before you're ever going to see forgiveness. That's the point, okay? That's the point. David, excuse me, Paul David Tripp, another uh, contemporary writer, smart guy, said these words in his book. When you are brokenhearted by the damage of sin, nothing is more beautiful to you than God's redeeming love. When you recognize and confess the damage sin has done in your life, nothing is more wonderful to you than the rescuing power of divine grace. Okay, and That's what this friend was saying to me. That's the model for me today. When you're able to embrace your sinfulness, here's the point. Okay, As a Christian, you ought to have the courage to do it. In light of what God has done, okay, that's what this is about, it can change the way you see yourself and change the way to see what it is you really need in life. The problem below every problem in our life. Listen. The, pr- the, the finger. This is where you need to point it. Quit pointing. It's not. You, the problem below every other problem in your life. It's sin. And it is seem unfair. You did inherit it. It's not the corner panel. The whole car has been damaged. All the way down to the Interior. But it's not been effaced. You were made in the image of God. And the gift is greater than the transgression. If you have eyes to see it. And I have eyes. This is what we're going to do. Two minutes and we're going to be done. Okay guys? I want, but we're going to take in this case as we share in communion if you're a Christian. that's what I want you to do in the next two minutes. I want you to ask one question. I've, you know, they, I said this last week. Every great sermon is, is about one great question or should be. Here's the great question of this sermon. Are there sins in your life, maybe failures, okay, if you want to use that word, failures in your life, where you need a true and fresh experience of God's grace in your life today, okay? You have the courage to face it. Here's the courage you don't have to keep it under wraps, you don't have to keep running from it, right? Do you have the courage to face it? Russell Shorto said, I came to the place and realized my life, even things that you don't even see, things that have been done to you. Forces had been at work that have shaped the choices of my life that I didn't even know were active. Maybe you know that now. It's okay. The gift is greater than the trespass. So just take 60, 90 seconds and bring to mind, ask the Spirit to bring to mind a failure in your life, a sin in your life, where you need right now a fresh experience of God's grace, okay? Let's take a minute. the night he was betrayed, Jesus, with his disciples, took the bread, and he broke it, tore it, and he passed it to his disciples, and he said, take this, eat it. This bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. Let's eat together. When supper was over, he took the cup, and which was part of the Passover meal, and he passed it, and he said this cup, this wine, this blood, this, or excuse me, this drink, represents the covenant, the new covenant. It represents the shedding of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. What a thing to say, which will happen uh, in, a, in another day. Let's drink together. God and Father, we come to you this morning just with open hearts and open minds. Help us to know in the heart of our hearts whatever however we see ourselves today however we are are whatever's working or not working in our life help us Lord to know that we were made in the image of God every one of us in the very image of God but Lord we acknowledge that our lived experience says that sin has damaged every area of our lives every area no area is untouched but Lord, the image has not been effaced. It has not been um, replaced. It's just been damaged. But in Jesus Christ, the gift is greater than the trespass. We have been given not only the forgiveness of sin in the cross, in the resurrection, but we've been given um, resources, rich, a rich resources to live a new way of life to be able, Lord, to to step in more fully to the life you've called us to live and to be able to face our sin uh, without fear and without um, shame and to do it with grace and um, forgiveness. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, watch this brief video and have a great... Sunday.